It's been a while, so it's, it's kind of bizarre, but Thanksgiving wasn't that long ago, and I uh, hope everyone enjoyed their uh, holiday, but did any of you go uh, Black Friday shopping? Yeah? Any big purchases? And, um, you know, like, Black Friday, it was, it's turned into this weird thing now where, in, not in Massachusetts because it's illegal, but... People can go shopping 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. Isn't that like, that's dinner time. That's Thanksgiving dinner time. Why are you messing with that? And people even here went at midnight at 1 o'clock to start shopping for things. And on top of that, Black Friday has used to be shopping for gifts for other people. But now it's shopping for me, isn't it? Even uh, this last weekend, uh, Julie, my wife, and I, we, we went to um, just the local shopping center, and we're, you know, seeing if there's anything, you know, around, and um, we, honestly, we weren't looking for other people's gifts, but we didn't buy anything. We only bought something for my brother-in-law's dog. He got a nice jacket. Um, <laughs> so that was the only find of, of the weekend, but gift shopping for others, you know, the day that, like, that represents that has ch- changed and turned into all about ourselves. The National Retail Federation says that last year, $601 billion, billion dollars was spent in the U.S. during the holidays. They're projecting $616 billion to be spent this year. And that number seems like, like how do you grasp you know, that number, right? $616 billion. Let's break it down a little bit. It says, the New York Times says, households that earn around $50,000 will spend on an average of $978 on holiday spending. That's the median salary for the middle, middle class. So 50K, everyone who's earning that is spending on the average 978 And a lot of that shopping is actually done on credit cards. It's not even done with the money on hand. So this whole Christmas season has turned into spending things on me, and then we get stressed out about spending on others, going into debt, and Christmas has really been messed up. And last week we started a sermon series called The Advent Conspiracy, and it's based on these four tenets. It's to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And... I get the privilege of talking about spending less. I'm sure you're all really excited. Everything else is like you can jive with, right? Oh, yeah, I need to worship more. Yeah, I need to, to give more to others, and I need to love everybody. But, whoa, like, spend less? Like, that's, you can't, but, you know, burst my bubble. That's what I spend is, is my, you know, hard-earned money. It's, it's what I've Gain, you know, it's what I've coerced out of my parents for allowance. Like, don't bother my spending. But I'm here to hopefully show you that spending less can actually be a means of liberating, like a, a means of freedom to experience more of the joy that God has, from the beginning, intended for Christmas, for what it really represents, the coming of Jesus Christ. So let's turn to our Bibles, uh, to... 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 
1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with me. But 1 John, this is really important uh, that you need to know. Is 1 John is written to believers, and he says it explicitly that your joy, every, pers- every believer's joy would become complete. John wrote the Gospel of John so that people may believe in Jesus. But now he's writing this epistle, this letter, 1 John, so that everyone's joy would be complete. Let's read our text together. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Excited? (laughs) Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Our first takeaway, just in this short three verses, is that love for the world and love for God cannot coexist. Cannot coexist. They are incompatible. The second half of verse 15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you have love of the world in here, the love of the Father can't dwell. There's no space for that to exist. Love of the Father and love of the world, they can't cohabitate the same place. And John gives us a little clarity around what the world is. In verse 16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions. And other words that can be used for desires is cravings, longings, covetousness, and even lusts. So cravings of the flesh, our physical bodies, the cravings of the eyes, what we can see, and, and then pride in possessions. That word pride, other translations can be read as pretense, arrogance. So based on what you have in your pocket, what you have in your homes, you're pretending to be something that you're not. You're, you're pretending that your life is full when it's not. It's as if each of our hearts has a throne, a throne chair, And only one person can sit in that chair at a given time. So is it going to be the world, the stuff, the the cravings, the longings that you're going to put in that throne? Or is it going to be love for the Father? Is it God who's going to sit there? Is it going to be the, the things of the world that are going to affect what you crave, what you long, and what you covet after? And it sounds crazy, right? Covet, you know, it's in the Ten Commandments. It's a bad word. It's It's a naughty word. But thinking, think about coveting more of God. I think that's not necessarily bad. Longing after him. Craving the things that, that God loves. And if you have come into contact with the God that we're talking about, this Jesus, especially after going through the story of Jesus sermon series a couple weeks ago, how could we give that throne over to anything but God? Amen? Amen? <laughs> love of the world and love of God cannot coexist. 
The second takeaway is that love for the world is not worth it because it's passing away. Love for the world is not worth it because it's passing away. Verse 17 reads very clearly, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world literally is fading away. My body, at this very moment, each passing second, is not getting younger or stronger. Even yesterday, I I drove back from New York, and uh, we stopped by a rest area, and I used the restroom, and I went to, you know, buy a drink out of the refrigerator. I grabbed it, I turned, and then my knee hurt, and I was like this. Uh, Like, the guy was watching me. I was the only guy in the store, and then I was fine going to the fridge, and all of a sudden, I'm limping, like, back to the cash register. Even my physical body is fading away, but what... John says is that the world, the things, the desires, the things that you crave after right now, they're not going to be that shiny in a little bit. You know that, that new gadget that you're really, really wanting right now? In a couple of days, it's not going to be as nice when the next new thing comes out. And it's interesting because it says, along with, with its desires... Those desires aren't even worth holding on to. Those desires won't satisfy you in a little bit. So John gives us an alternative, doesn't he? He says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And I thought that was really interesting because it's whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away Whoever does the will of God abides forever. When I read that, I'm thinking it should be who um, the world is passing away and God abides forever. Right? That would make sense, right? The world is passing away, but the love of God is worth it. The love of God will exist forever. But John gives us, he invites us into an alternative. Whoever does the will of God. If John is writing this letter to make our joy complete, then he is writing this And giving us an opportunity and saying, you being with God forever is going to make your joy complete. Whatever brokenness, whatever uh, dissatisfaction that you might feel at this, even at this very moment, can be satisfied by being with God. And that phrase, doing the will of God, if you search for when John talks about doing the will of God in the gospel of John, in the fourth gospel, it's always Jesus talking about the mission that God the Father has given to him on earth. So for us, if it's loving the world can't coexist with loving God, and loving God means doing the will of God, that means doing the will of God means furthering the mission of God. Furthering the mission of God. Furthering the mission of God will make us eternally happy. It will make our joy complete. And it sounds crazy, right? It sounds bizarre because when you think about the mission of God, when you think about the Zimmer family, they had to forego a lot of comfort, a lot of things that, that they were used to. They have to learn a new language, a new culture. They have to leave all their friends and create new ones. 
But that, I think they can attest to it, is a joy far greater than they could have ever expected. Charles Spurgeon, a, a British uh, pastor, I saw this, this uh, graphic, I, I don't know what to, to call it. It's, it's not a meme, right? But it's a quote uh, based on, uh, uh, just overlaid on a, a graphic. But it reads like this, God has so closely twisted his own glory and our happiness together that as, as, as we advance the one, we promote the other. His glory and our happiness are so intertwined, they're so tangled up, that if we promote one, right, if we promote the glory of God, then we will be happy. We will be happy. So now, then, is spend less. I get to get under your skin and and bother you and, and even offend some of you, which I actually weirdly enjoy. Chris, Chris Park, are you here? Christopher Park? Is he here? Anyway, Pastor Bill collected, um, that, that was intentional. <laughs> uh, Pastor Bill collected index cards of new ideas to worship fully, and uh, he handed me his uh, index card. If someone talks to him this week, tell him he, you know, we talked about him in a good way, and, and let him know that he blessed me and, and he blessed you. But he wrote, about spending less. He saw that Advent Conspiracy, we're going to talk about spending less. And he says, uh, actually, I don't know uh, what it exactly says because I like this so much. I put it in my pocket and then put it in the laundry. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really good. Um, (laughs) But spending less, he wrote something along the lines of, is not so much focused on the quantity or or, um, how much spending is done, it's the quality of it. It's how you spend it, who you spend it on. Because if I were to just say spend less, then you would have to sit there, okay, like, what, what do I cut out? And then you would start to, like, cut out things that bother you the least, right? Oh, I could forego um, maybe a coffee here or there. Like, I won't be as affected. But that's still motivated by fulfilling my wants, right? Fulfilling my life, making my life maximally pleasurable, maximally happy. Do, do any of you coupon by any chance or like look on deal sites like Groupon and, and um, Slick Deals? Like I have to confess, I look on Slick Deals pretty, pretty frequently. And um, it's funny because like, you're like, oh, that's such a steal. I'm going to buy it. I save so much money. And it's not like I use that money for, like, my wife, you know? Like, I'm like, ooh, I have more money to get more stuff on this site. And it's so geared towards ourselves. So when I'm talking about spending less today, it's about spending less on ourselves and doing things that are more eternally beneficial, more eternally beneficial. Do you know why we have to spend less on ourselves? Because our heart tendency is to be rich to me and not rich to others and not rich to God. Rich, I'm really lavish on myself, but not so lavish on others. And it's not about money. It's also about time. It's about energy. 
Are you willing to give of yourself for the sake of another, even if it costs you much? So please hear me out. I'm not telling you to not buy gifts or or spend money on yourself or save, save for a vacation or a car or whatnot. I'm saying, let's think about what it means to be rich towards others. John writes this command, do not love the world, because there is a legitimate concern. There's a legitimate danger in loving the world. Love of God, love of the world can't coexist. But the world is fading away. So where should we find our joy? And uh, for some of you, it's going to be food. It's going to be maybe coffee. I know for a fact that you, I'm going to guess most of you binge watch Netflix and um, Hulu and whatnot. You just watch those shows without end. Maybe it's one of those things. And my um, application Uh, I'm, I'm going to give a list of, excuse me, very specific applications tomorrow on, on our Facebook page. But I'm going to say find something where it'll cost you a little bit and just do it for a season. I'm not saying don't, don't become this ascetic that just foregoes all, all things and you just like mope around and drag your feet and don't shower. I don't know. Just No, but really find what's going to cost you a little bit and be rich. towards God first and then to others. Because these things aren't necessarily bad things, right? They're good gifts from God. We're just using them in a way that numbs ourselves from what's going on in the world, what's going on in our lives. These are good gifts that, you know, the, the Christian term for it is fasting, isn't it? It's forfeiting the good so that we can see the better. It's a good thing. Coffee is a beautiful gift. But I forego it because when I fast from it and I crave it, I'm telling myself, God, I want to crave you this bad. I want to crave for you even more than how much I crave coffee. If you fast food, a meal, maybe a day, and you're, you're getting hungry, you're s t stomach is rumbling, then that's when you tell yourself, God, like, if I could just even physically react to wanting you, to wanting to be with you the way my body is just aching, how much would that affect your spiritual lives? So in spending less, not punishing yourself, but in spending less, you're gaining an appetite for eternity. And isn't that where we want to end up? I'm going to share two tangible um, benefits from spending less uh, from my reflection. One is to see what our hearts are made of. It's to see what our hearts crave and desire and think about. Randy Alcorn, uh, this is regarding money in the book called The Treasure Principle. He says, your checkbook, your credit card statement, your receipts will tell you a lot about who you really love. What about your schedules, the way you spend your time? If someone were to follow you around, jot down how you spend, you know, hour to hour. Are you willing to forego some of the things for a season so that you can crave God more? And this is going to sound really blunt, but some of us, including myself, haven't grown spiritually because we haven't given over certain areas 
of our lives to God. John Piper writes, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Isn't that like a, ah, like, stupid, like... (laughs) Do you crave the glory of God in your life? I'm going to say try spending less and see if you start to crave that. I believe if you devote that time, that thing to God, I I think he's so good of a God that he will meet you there. That's the first benefit. We see what our hearts are made of. Second is we are given the margin to give to others. We are given the ability to give to others, be rich towards another person. When we spend less time on something that is just strictly for ourselves, just for our pleasure, and we give that over to something else, someone else, give that over to God, then we're creating, right? Like, oh, like, even if it's 10 minutes, okay, 10 minutes, I'm going to call a friend and see how they're doing. Because I think everyone in this room says, oh, I'm so busy, I'm, I'm so tired. How about you stop wasting energy on something that's not eternally beneficial and good for your health, emotional, mental, spiritual, and give that over to something that will be eternally beneficial. Something with a legacy, right? John says, the world is fading away, even its desires, but whoever does the will of God, when you further the mission of God in one another, that person will abide, live, remain, dwell forever. And uh, this is where I'm going to share a little bit about what's going on in the church and offer an invitation. And this is actually the application, maybe, for for us. Um, I said I would never put my hands in my pockets when I preach, but I did it. Uh, Cornerstone Church, whether you've heard it or not, you're hearing it now, is projected to be in a financial deficit of $66,000. And that's a huge number, but it actually was $70,000. And um, the hope is to chip away at it, and that's, that's a significant number. It affects the way that um, we can do our ministry. It, it affects the way we do worship on a weekly basis, believe it or not. And it, is, it would be a serious hit to our church if at the end of our financial year, which is July, we're $66,000, you know, in, in the whole. I mean, gratefully, God, you know, in his sovereign plan, he has allowed us to have a cash reserve. So, you know, nothing crazy is going to happen. No one in the church is in panic mode, but this is a serious situation. I, I for one, am really hopeful. I think our church has much, much potential. And this is just money, Right? But uh, what, what we have done uh, as the leadership of the church with the resource development team is we've written a support letter. And it's not to each of you. It's actually for every person here to take it and see if there's somebody in your life, somebody in your um, realm of, of contact who you could give it to. And uh, college students and grad students, I know it's, you don't have money. I, I know Actually, some of you do have money. 
Yeah, some of you do. You spend more money than probably some of the young adults. Let's be honest. And you, you're not paying for any of your costs. But college students, grad students, you know, like, if, if you're not in a place where you could give to the church, could you possibly take this letter to your parents and say, Mom, Dad, like, this church has helped me grow spiritually, and they're in this situation, and they're in the city of Boston where it's not cheap, and it's not easy to do ministry. Would you be willing to give a one-time gift to support them and help them continue to bless others? And when I was talking about legacy before, there's somebody in the history of Cornerstone for the past 10 years who spent less so that you could reap the benefits right now, the sound equipment, the, the children. You know, we pay for children's curriculum. We, we, we pay for facilities here. We pay for all these little things. There's somebody or a group of people who have sacrificed not putting money towards their down payment on a house, not spending it for another lavish meal for themselves so that we can reap the benefit. Could we possibly try to pay it forward, even if you don't reap the benefits now, that later generations of people at Cornerstone Church could grow spiritually? Their eternities are changed forever. So the support letter, uh, if the welcoming ministry can hand them out, we're going to give it to everybody. Um, By no means are we asking or pressuring any of you to do it. If you don't have anybody, that's totally fine. Please don't throw this letter out. If you're not going to use it, put it back on the welcoming table so that somebody else can can give it out. And please don't read it. Don't read it now. It's not even addressed to you, so it's not your business. And um, no, no, read it when when you have a chance, because it spells out some of the things. There's testimonies on on there from from some of the current uh, people here. who have been blessed by this ministry. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pull on heartstrings to make anybody, anybody do anything, but this is something that we should care about, right? Even if you're here for the first time, why? God, why do you send me to this church, right? The church that's $66,000 in the hole. But if he's sovereign, maybe you're here for a reason. Maybe you have a chance, you have an opportunity to bless others going forward. So again, take these letters. If you could give it, I don't know, to a a friend, family, maybe, you know, young adults, maybe to some of your coworkers. I don't know. It might sound crazy, but maybe it's an opportunity to say, hey, this, this, this is my church. It's a nonprofit, just like any other And they're trying to influence Boston in a positive way. Would you be open to supporting this? And ultimately, every single person here has been a recipient, a beneficiary of a specific one-person sacrifice. Jesus Christ. He's a Savior who had everything at his disposal He humbled himself, made himself nothing. He could have spent his time, energy, and his limited financial resources for himself. But what does he do? He gives it all away. He spends more on others for our sake. Over 2,000 years later, 
He spends less so that others can live. And that's hopefully how we further the mission of God. Amen? Good and gracious God, we come before you and we ask for forgiveness for the ways that we treat you. In our heads, we think that we have to come to church in a certain way. We, we feel like we have to be a certain way in order to interact with you. But actually, Lord, what you want is for any to come into your presence and to just simply say, I want to desire you. I want to love you. I don't know what that means. I'm not, I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I want to. And God, we also ask for forgiveness in the ways that we've kind of numbed our minds and our hearts, our souls, by bombarding it with more stuff, by putting more stuff in our schedule that, that don't really have lasting, eternal benefit. But Lord, we thank you that you're not done with us. You're wanting to redeem us from, from head to toe, from every area in, in, in our lives and every part of our hearts where we try to ignore some of the things that you're, you're uh, showing us and, and you're pointing at. Lord, we pray that as a result of our time together, even in this short service, that we hate the world a little bit more and we love God a little bit more. We pray that we would see the, the passing away, the, the status of, of this world and, and its desires, and to see what it means to do the will of God, to further the mission of God, to see other people, to, to the lost people coming to saving knowledge of you. So, Lord, we thank you for all the components of this service, and even as we continue to sing, we pray that you would feed our souls, just like you did with communion, and that we would live out the scriptural truths of, of tasting and seeing how good you are. We thank you so much. We dedicate this time. We want it to be all about you. You on the throne of Cornerstone Church. Even in whatever's happening with the finances, that you would be king, you would be sovereign, you would provide for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.